Welcome to the Buddha Sasana podcast. This talk was given by Bhikkhu Chintita in Chisago City, Minnesota. Today we look at the Satipatthana exercise concerning the five hindrances. We've now looked at 16 exercises presented in the Satipatthana Sutta, actually just eight exercises if we think of the nine charnel ground decaying corpses exercises as only one exercise, I only devoted one talk to all nine. The exercises we've looked at so far fall under what are called the first, second, and third satipatthanas, contemplations having to do with body, feelings, and mind. We've seen that all of these contemplations focus primarily on verifying non-self in terms of direct experience with a big dose of impermanence, taking up the three facets of self in turn, the body self, the witness self, and the mind self. Today, we move on to the fourth and final Satipatthana, contemplation of Dhammas. There are five of these exercises. By the way, Satipatthana may seem like an obscure term to some listeners who have not been following this long series of talks and who are not well read in the early Buddhist teachings. It's well known by students of the ancient Pali texts, but modern teachers use more accessible English translations. Let me remind why I use this term. The literal translation of Satipatthana is know-how attentiveness. It brings together the know-how of the Dhamma with acute attentiveness to direct present experience. However, no one calls it anything like know-how attentiveness outside of me. So that translation will cause confusion. Most people call it foundations of mindfulness. And one prominent translator and teacher even calls it frames of reference, either of which creates its own confusion. So it's safer simply to revert to the Pali for a technical term, which is in wide usage and worth learning for students of the Dhamma in any case, like jhana which has never attained a standard translation. As for the fourth Satipatthana, the contemplation of Dhammas, the word Dhamma seems to have a dual meaning. Of course, Dhamma is the teaching of the Buddha, Dharma in Sanskrit, Dhamma in Pali. It can also refer to any factor or quality that might arise in our experience. This is convenient in each of the Satipatthana exercises we bring one or more teachings of the Buddha to mind, then examine relevant factors in present experience, that is, observables, in order to verify that teaching, that is, to see the Dhamma for oneself. The word Dhamma can refer to the particular teaching of the Buddha 
under investigation, or it can refer to an observable brought into the investigation. Since the point is to see the Dhamma in the observable and see the observable in terms of the Dhamma, we might as well say that it can refer to both as one and the same. So the Dhammas of all of the exercises in the first three Satipatthanas center rather uniformly on the teachings of the three characteristics, non-self impermanence and suffering, but with certain collateral dhammas in particular exercises. The fourth Satipatthana is different. Each exercise focuses primarily on its own dhamma teaching, which is explicitly named and described in the exercise. Moreover, although only five such exercises are described in the Satipatthana Sutta, in principle, the number of exercises that could be imported into Satipatthana contemplation is unlimited. So let me start with the first Dhamma exercise to show you what I mean. This focuses on the important Dhamma teaching of the five hindrances and is the topic of today's talk. The five hindrances are sensual desire, ill will, sloth and torpor, restlessness and remorse, and doubt, which are things that, if they are present in the mind, will undermine the attentiveness necessary for successful Satipatthana practice and samadhi. Normally, we would like to remove the hindrances prior to practice, but in this case, we're asked to observe any hindrance that might have arisen. And how, bhikkhus, does a bhikkhu abide contemplating dhammas and dhammas? Here, a bhikkhu abides contemplating dhammas and dhammas in terms of the five hindrances. And how does a bhikkhu abide contemplating dhammas and dhammas in terms of the five hindrances? There being sensual desire in him, a bhikkhu comprehends. There is sensual desire in me, or there being no sensual desire in him, he comprehends. There is no sensual desire in me, or he also comprehends how there comes to be the arising of unarisen sensual desire, and how there comes to be the abandoning of arisen sensual desire, and how there comes to be the future non-arising of abandoned sensual desire, there being ill will in him, dot, 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 this continues as before, there being sloth and torpor in him, dot, 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 there being restlessness and remorse in him, dot, 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 there being doubt in him, Abhikhu comprehends, there is doubt in me, or there being no doubt in him, he comprehends there is no doubt in me, and he comprehends how there comes to be the arising of unarisen doubt, and how there comes to be the abandoning of arisen doubt, and how there comes to be the future non-arising of abandoned doubt. Significantly, two of the five standard Dhamma exercises involve contemplation of factors that are related to Satipatthana practice itself. 
These are the contemplation of the five hindrances and the contemplation of the seven factors of awakening. Examining, verifying, and internalizing our understanding of these factors will help us develop control or teach us to wield these factors more skillfully in our practice. The five hindrances intersect with Satipatthana right at the beginning of the sutta, where it tells us, He abides contemplating dhammas and dhammas, ardent, comprehending, and knowing how, having put away covetousness and grief for the world. Covetousness and grief for the world is shorthand for the five hindrances, and our job is to put them away in order to practice satipatthana successfully. I like to simply call this condition unhinderedness. Ideally, we are unhindered by these fatal distractions. It narrows our attention enormously and is also the place from which samadhi sets in as a further narrowing of attention, shrink-wrapping it around what is relevant to the practice. The hindrances can be described as follows. Sensual desire is greed for things of the world, food, sex, companionship, money in the bank, and so on. Ill will is hate or aversion for the things of the world, particularly directed toward other people. Sloth and torpor together constitute a muddled or dulled mind. Restlessness and remorse represent an overactive mind that just will not settle. Doubt is the mind that is not convinced of the efficacy of the practice. Each of these factors is not only disruptive to practice, but is also categorized as unwholesome, that is rooted in greed, hate, or delusion. It's significant that more wholesome states of mind are not nearly so distracting. People complain, I was so angry I just couldn't meditate. But you never hear, I was so darn overwhelmed with loving-kindness that I just could not settle into meditation. Imagine that you were sitting down to meditate, say, to follow the breath, or engage in the contemplation of bodily organs. But then sensual desire arises in you, or better yet, ill will. You are fuming mad at someone who had just done you wrong. Every time you try following the breath or visualizing your intestines, your mind pops back to the source of your anger. We are supposed to put aside hindrances, but it might require a lot of effort to withdraw attention from our anger. But this is not a problem. The hindrances, aside from being distractions, are also suitable for contemplation in themselves. This gives us license to instead put aside the previously intended theme of contemplation and take this opportunity to pick up contemplation of the second hindrance. It's right there, and it's not a distraction if it's the theme of your current contemplation. However, 
There are two aspects of anger and other hindrances that must be observed if this contemplation is to succeed. The most prominent aspect is often the narrative we spin around the anger itself. A string of irritated thoughts like, He had no right to do that. I would never do that. I'm going to get back at him. This is fuel for more anger and is not subject to attentive contemplation. The mind will spin out of control. It's important to strip the narrative away and instead focus on the anger itself. How does it manifest in the body and mind? Notice the tightness in the chest, the flushing of the face, the churning of feelings in the mind. Anger is mostly in the body. Learn to sit quietly with the direct experience of such factors. Samadhi helps if we hold the narrative at bay long enough to settle into the second jhana. Narratives do not survive in the second jhana. They require too much energy. But sitting with bodily and mental sensations survive just fine. We are also asked to consider the conditionality of the anger. He, he comprehends, comprehends how there comes, comes to be the arising of unarisen ill will and how there comes to be the abandoning of arisen ill will and how there comes to be the future non-arising of abandoned ill will. For instance, what preceded the arising of the anger? Has that factor done the same thing in the past? Remember, no one can put the anger in your mind. It is dependently arisen through patterned responses of your own mind. Look for these patterns. You will gain a lot of insight into anger. However, investigating conditionality is quite productive as anger arises in everyday life. And on the cushion, it might require reverting to the first jhana, at least at first. So take care that the narratives do not re-emerge at that point. Notice the direct experience of anger is like abiding, contemplating anger internally, and getting caught up in the narratives around anger is like contemplating anger externally. In this way, he abides contemplating dhammas and dhammas internally, or he abides contemplating dhammas and dhammas externally, or he abides contemplating dhammas and dhammas both internally and externally. He abides contemplating in dhammas the nature of arising, or he abides contemplating in dhammas the nature of vanishing, or he abides contemplating in dhammas the nature of both arising and vanishing. The recollection that there are dhammas is simply established in him to the extent necessary for bare knowledge and know-how. He abides independent. He doesn't cling to anything in the world. That is how a bhikkhu abides contemplating dhammas and dhammas in terms of the five hindrances. The refrain for the Dhamma exercises is much like the refrain that follows the body, feelings, and mind exercises. 
a key difference is that the particular Dhamma being contemplated is explicitly mentioned for each exercise, also in the refrain, right at the end, here as in In terms terms of of the the five hindrances. Also, the refrain seems to be variously repurposed. In particular, the primary purpose of this exercise is very practical in facilitating our practice in general. Satipatthana practice is a matter of observation in order to internal the subtleties of the hindrances and how they arise. This, in turn, can be put to use to gain very precise control over them to the benefit of our practice. A good way to begin a meditation session is to look for each hindrance in turn. If it is present, there are explicit techniques for suppressing that hindrance. However, this becomes a matter of implicit intuition as we develop a tacit sense of the subtleties involved in the hindrance. For instance, we discover in our contemplation of the conditionality of anger that it is sustained by its narratives. When we strip anger of its narratives, the anger dissipates quite quickly. We can use this observation quite effectively when we want to remove that hindrance in order to practice some other intended exercise. Take a moment to shift attention to the anger, stripped of its narratives, wait for the anger to dissipate, then return to the previous contemplation. If the anger returns, simply repeat. The primary purpose is not to quell the presumption of the self. The hindrances belong to mind and may, in theory, contribute to quelling the presumption of the mind-self, particularly as a result of focusing on internal contemplation and stripping away narratives. But here, the refrain seems to provide the collateral practice. We will see, however, that the contemplation of other Dhamma exercises, particularly the five aggregates and the sixfold sense sphere, are very much concerned with quelling the presumption of the witness self and realizing further and realizing further consequences from this. Next week we will take up the second Dhamma exercise, the contemplation of the five aggregates of appropriation. To learn more about the Rethinking the Satipatthana Project, please go to sirigu.org slash chintita. That is s-i-t-a-g-u dot org c-i-n-t-i-t-a.